Welcome to Five Drive Weekly. The new boys are in, the latest schedule's out, but how do we think they'll do? Let's chat about it all next. Welcome to the show, Five Shot Fam. I'm AJ, and this is Mark. And where as you get your pods, subscribe, share, and leave us a good rating. This segment is sponsored by Thinking Man Tavern, a cozy Decatur neighborhood pub. Grab a tasty beverage from a wide variety of selections and a plate of something delicious from the menu. To go, check out Thinking Man Tavern. Follow our Twitch for new streams and surprises on Tuesdays and Thursdays, starting at 7 p.m. on twitch.tv slash ATLUTDFanTV. So guys, let's get into the latest from this week, and we now know the 2020 season is going to continue. There's going to be six matches that we know of, at least scheduled. Uh, there will be 18 total uh, to continue the season in 2020. Uh, there will be home and home matches. And yeah, our group we will be playing in these six matches will be two times each in Orlando City, Nashville, and Inter-Miami. Now, it's a pretty interesting group, obviously, because uh, there are two pretty much inaugural sides, or expansion sides, rather. And uh, then you have, of course, Orlando City, who uh, are pretty hot right now, in a sense, uh, but uh, yeah, Mark, what do you think of uh, the group that we're playing, and you know the possibilities in each, you know, in our chances against them? Well, I think from an Atlanta United perspective, there's a lot of intrigue. You know, obviously, uh, for logistical reasons, these teams are the closest to us, and I think also for that reason, you know, at one point or another, these teams have been considered uh, potential rivals. Uh, so you know, it's yeah, you got. In in, in uh, into Miami and Nashville, two relative unknowns. You know, we really haven't seen much from them. And of course, you have Orlando who made a run to the final. And I think Orlando's probably looking at Atlanta right now, uh, kind of at a crossroads with an interim manager and thinking, you know, this is our chance. You know, if not now, when? But you know, they they played well during the tournament. Couldn't bring home the uh, the COVID Cup. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting, I think, and. Um, you know, I think these matches will be highly competitive, at least. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. It's going to be interesting, uh, not only because you know of these expansion sides and not really knowing uh, really what they will be offering uh, so much uh, of, as of yet as what we know, but uh, Nashville, we do know that you know. I think uh, defensively they will be pretty all right, but it's going forward. Uh, that's where I think their issues. I think ultimately lie and we'll see um, you know how well they get on there uh, enter Miami they're still roster building and you know there's possibilities of um, you know semi big names coming in uh, we'll get to that in a sec but uh, you know and also that I think they have almost too many players in terms of uh, too many players to senior roster spots I mean, you have LGP who, yeah, still hasn't uh, been placed into the squad yet. And so, you know, someone's got to go from their senior roster spot then uh, because they were pretty much full in uh, in Orlando. And then, yeah, Orlando City, how how deep are they really? Because you kind of saw that they were exposed a good bit, um, you know, in terms of at least, uh, you know, against Portland. Definitely uh, you saw the, the kind of, um, you know, they have a strong 11, but, you know, if past that strong 11, the the gas, you know, how much how much gas do they have in the tank 
if uh, you have to play three games uh, or you have to play a game every three days. It's going to be a rough one. And, uh, or you know, Atlanta United have historically kind of proven we've been pretty decent in kind of a short amount of time, uh, you know, playing matches pretty much every three days. Uh, you know, evident in uh, September of 2017, evident, uh, you know, a th- good bit of, I think, uh, September of 2019 as well. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, kind of short span of uh, between games. I think Atlanta United have shown our, our depth is, uh, you know, something that can really contend uh, against other teams. So hopefully that is the case. But uh, yes, so like I said, they will be home and home matches, and so they will be played at home stadiums. Uh, yeah, they will be on August uh, 22nd is that first match against Nashville SC. Uh, tw- the 26th is at Inter Miami. 29th, uh, Orlando City. Uh, yeah, September 2nd in Inter Miami. Uh, September 6th at Orlando, and then September 12th at Nashville. And, uh, yeah, something to note is that there will be no fans in the stadium. Uh, That's only for this group. I mean, there are some other groups that will start to implement uh, fans into uh, their games. But at least in these areas, yeah, COVID has hit a little too hard. So uh, I think it's probably wise to not uh, be tempting fate right now. And so, yeah, speaking of those teams that will be playing in front of fans, FC Dallas and Nashville will be playing against each other in full transparency. Uh, yeah, we are filming this on a Wednesday, and yes, they will be starting uh, and kind of pretty much picking up their MLS's back tournament games that they were not able to play. Uh, they'll play each other twice, but uh, it will be, you know, essentially they will be playing in front of fans. They will be the first uh, pretty much major league sports team in America to be playing uh, in the pandemic, essentially in front of fans. And so, yeah, pretty amazing. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it's the best idea, but it is uh, going to be socially distanced. There will be a waiver for them. Uh, they will pretty much sign uh, pretty much their rights of uh, not suing any of the, the teams that have uh, you know, fans inside their stadium. So, I mean, they're covering their bases, that's for sure. But yeah, what what do you think? Uh, you know, of you know, at least fans being at stadiums already. Yeah, honestly, it seems a little bit soon, especially when you're talking about in Texas. You know, especially when you're talking about one of the teams. Uh, well, I guess it's both of them uh, that were kicked out because of um you know an outbreak in their in the squads so you know hopefully they um i guess the 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 key to having fans i think is just the protocol and enforcing it you know and so um for teams who want to have fans in the stadiums how are they going to go about that i think you know obviously uh united sent out that survey um to the fan base about uh you know would they be open to attending matches so you got to figure that Atlanta is at least looking at this, seeing how it plays out. Uh, we know that they're not going to have any fans uh, for this phase of games, but maybe the next phase they'll consider it, you know, depending on how things are playing out with the pandemic, most importantly. So it's um, from personally, I think it's a little too soon, but, uh, you know, if they consult with the right, uh, the relevant 
health experts and uh, you know like I said enforce the protocols that they if they're able to enforce the protocols that they need to you know I guess it could work right yeah but I think yeah paramount to all of it is still absolutely saving lives and so um, yeah it's absolutely if that's uh, you know what their their aim is then I think they're uh, you know their hearts would be in the right place but um yeah, something we haven't mentioned is that, yes, there will be MLS Cup playoffs. There will be 18 games total past the MLS's back tournament, excuse me. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they will be aiming for an MLS Cup. So, yeah, I mean, they're kind of aiming for a little bit of normalcy, and I'm sure that they'll try to, uh, you know, try to get something of, uh, you know, just this crazy, crazy season uh, as much as uh, this season finished, uh, you know, and that's, uh, we'll see, you know, that's a uh, pretty much why they're playing only six games uh, in terms of uh, scheduling out that far. And if it's going to be against, uh, you know, the likes of these teams again, uh, because they can't go intra region, I mean, it really will be to be seen. I mean, it, it would be crazy. Like uh, just this whole kind of Southern Derby, uh, with all these teams over and over again, it will be a little bit like MLS 1.0, where you're just sick of seeing these teams. But um, yeah, there will be definite issues of, I think, uh, you know, the uh, the kind of balance that will be, I think, super necessary in kind of uh, how you structure. Uh, ultimately uh, these conferences and when you put them in the playoffs but yeah there will be more playoff spots to reflect that but it is uh yeah i mean still gonna be funny nonetheless to see so many teams in the playoffs and uh you know it'll be even more interesting i feel like to see which teams don't make it so but uh anyway so moving on from that Concacaf is in discussions with those involved to resume Champions League. And they're working on a range of options, including the possibility of centralizing the remaining matches in one city. And of course, Atlanta United still have to face Club America at home in that second leg. But, uh, you know, what incarnation of this it will be? Uh, will it be in a bubble, is what they're trying to do, uh, and maybe do something like uh, MLS is back? But. You know, like what? What do you think of, uh, you know, what's gonna happen after hearing, you know, them say that? So I think uh, so. First, you have of course the ties that haven't been completed, including ours. I think for the integrity of the competition, they probably just have to go ahead and complete that. Um, probably, you know, I think the way it would have normally, obviously without fans. Uh, so probably have Club America come, you know, for example, in our tie, have Club America come play that match, whatever. In terms of the rest of the competition, I think the bubble idea does make sense. Uh, you see, like in uh, Europe, there's two separate bubbles for Champions League and Europa League. Um, and so I think that's probably something CONCACAF can pull off. I imagine it'd be a location like a kind of centralized location, uh, like California, Texas, Mexico, um, you know, they'll have to arrange the the hotels, the proper protocol and all that. But I think it's within CONCACAF's, uh, I guess, 
uh, range to be able to, I think they should be able to to work something out to finish the competition. Obviously, if you do that, it's going to be single legs. It's going to be kind of like a World Cup style tournament instead of the traditional. But at the end of the day, we understand what we're up against. And, you know, I think it's the just completing the competition you know is, is the key obviously as safely as possible but uh you know in terms of the competition not being what it normally is i think you know we all be understanding of that and we all know that at the end of the day you know all these competitions in 2020 it's just we we, we know what's happening so right and so it, yeah it will depend uh when it will be that's very uh i think telling uh it might probably uh just at the end of the season probably is uh you know you have the the most flexibility but uh i mean it might not work out with some of the other teams in that sense so i mean really they have a scheduling kind of snafu that they really have to figure out here but uh i think you know also if uh you know the the club world cup i think that's uh, if that happens that could be something that impacts this if this really completes out or not because you know if there's not a club world cup then the, the onus and the just the absolute uh need to have a champion uh might not actually be there and so you don't have this residual effect uh essentially that could happen and that's you know that's something to uh to look to as well uh but yeah they will yeah have uh just a headache on their hands trying to figure out this for sure but uh yeah a quick note is that the transfer window August 12th has opened and so yeah it will pretty much run for uh, about a month and you know we'll see you know what uh, what LA United could do but uh, yes we have been rumored with uh, not only uh, players and coaches but uh, yeah I mean a player that still hasn't been confirmed yet nor has it gotten any closer as of uh, last week, it was saying uh, reports that he uh, was on the verge of signing, but uh, you know he was also linked uh, with the likes of Celta Vigo in La Liga. And yeah, so far, Jonathan Gonzalez, that's still the latest, is that Celta Vigo, Celta Vigo are apparently in on him as well. And yeah, he's also made Monterrey's 18s. And so yeah, that's pretty much the update on him. Is that, I mean, you know, he's still not an LA United player. And that's, uh, for some, I mean, it's very much a bummer because he's someone that I think could, uh, yeah, help LA United very immensely in the midfield. But, um, yeah, so in terms of uh, a head coach rumor, uh, we finally have, I think, maybe someone that I think is legitimately interested in the Atlanta United job, and that's Gustavo Alfaro. Uh, so he's a 57-year-old Argentine. He's most recently Boca Juniors' uh, manager, but he was pretty much there for an 11 months, and he is no longer there. Uh, yeah, he apparently has serious interest in the Atlanta United job if the situation were to present itself, and that's via CBS's Rodrigo Gonzalez. And uh, yeah. You know, he's apparently regularly analyzing footage of the five-strap matches. He's intrigued by living in the United States as well. Hearsay is that uh, he's got some family here as well in the States. And so he visits pretty regularly. And, uh, yeah, 
he's also unfortunately uh, maybe been, uh, well, fortunately, unfortunately, uh, Eye of the Beholder, but uh, has apparently been shortlisted as one of the candidates for Ecuador's gaffer spot. And that's also according to Gonzalez of CBS. So if we want him, we might have to act pretty quickly. But, you know, there are uh, some things about that. I mean, it's so, you know, let's first get your opinion, Mark, and, uh, you know, we'll go from there. Yeah, I, you know, like I said before, I think the most important thing is uh, what his style is, you know, in terms of the profile, you know, okay, you know, we saw, we heard the rumor that uh, they'll focus on South America in terms of recruiting a coach, and so falls in line with that, but uh, I'm curious to see what his style is. I mean, I don't get a chance to watch um, the Argentine League too much, but, uh, you know, Boca in recent years, I don't know if they're necessarily known for playing the style that uh, Atlanta United would like to play, so that, that's where I think it'll be interesting. But at the same time, you know, he might—he, I might be wrong about that, or he might change, or you know, he might adjust to the players that he has. So it's a—it uh, would be interesting. I, I think the rumor that he's been analyzing film <laughs> yeah. is is a little bit interesting as well. But yeah. um, in terms of profile, I think it, it does make sense. In terms of why Lane, I would be linked to him or possibly even looking at him. Right. I mean, yeah, so he's a guy that, uh, yeah, is a guy that will set up the team to win. He is a winner. Uh, he's, you know, <laughs> kind of uh, also uh, coached a uh, an Arsenal side, but it is, of course, the Argentine Arsenal side. But, uh, yeah, he coached kind of minnows to... Uh, some cup wins, so it's or you know at least in uh, those Copa Libertadores places, and so uh, you know it's it's one of those where um, you know he's a guy that maybe is too defensive. Uh, he plays apparently to transfer market. Uh, dot I think uh, what wherever transfer market is uh, in terms of where they're based, they say that he. Yeah. <laughs> His formation preferred is a 4-4-2 with two sixes. So that's basically two defensive midfielders. And uh, yeah, that's kind of, you know, not exciting, really. I mean, that's uh, obviously a little bit more defensive than we probably would like. Uh, the one criticism, uh, at least according to Wikipedia, of uh, him at Boca was that he didn't have an identity of uh you know when he was with uh boca so that's you know maybe setting some alarm bells and saying like yeah this isn't exactly uh maybe the most ideal candidate he might be uh a guy that can set the team up to win but is he the ultimately the attacking style um you know head coach that we want is he the guy that ultimately um you know gets us playing swashbuckling football and i think i have my doubts i mean this is uh you know the, just the first one essentially that uh i think is a serious one so you know let's keep looking i don't think this uh we should bite on the first one that's interested but uh you know a guy that definitely has uh, a bit of a pedigree in um you know in the the league's down there so you know someone that we could be looking at but maybe ultimately we, we pass on and hopefully hopefully we do but uh, so yeah moving on from that new signing Eric Lopez he is set to travel to the United States that's according to Roberto Rojas 
Uh, he said uh, that he's going to join his teammates at the end of the month. And so, you know, it was originally going to be around now that he was going to be arriving, but now he's going to be uh, arriving to LA United 2, uh, quote-unquote, at the end of the month. But, uh, yeah, he still, yeah, like he said, he's expecting to play for the first team. So we'll see. We'll see how we uh, really roster gymnastics that. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, uh, also speaking of uh, in terms of new boys, Kubo Torres, uh, he's wearing number 31. Uh, I mean, I think that's interesting in the regard that, you know, we have just so few kind of uh, open numbers on the team. And, you know, he has to go all the way to... Yeah, number thirty-one, which is yeah, usually not your uh, your starting striker number, but you know right. it is. Uh, he's joining in the middle of a season, so as to be expected, there will be a shortage. But uh, yeah, he spoke to the media today. He said, "I'm here to score goals. I want to stay in MLS for a long time." Uh, he's Torres said he wasn't concerned about coming to play for an interim manager. Uh, he said that's part of football, and he t- explained that uh, he described Stephen Glass as an intense coach because, yeah, he has been pretty much training with Atlanta United for about a week. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, it's good to see that we have a, a striker on board that probably will be our, our starting striker uh, that uh, has a little bit of a run-up into the games coming up. So, you know, that's, uh, that's at least some good news, but... Uh, you know that's that's just how it goes. Uh, you know he was just brought on. So anyway, uh, yeah. moving on from yeah. that, uh, the Emelis is back tournament, of course, finished. Uh, it was last night. It was Tuesday, uh, and the final it was two one Portland Timbers against Orlando City. You love to see it against <laughs> Orlando City, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, I think. Uh, many of the LA United fans, they like to have a good laugh if, uh, you know, someone that's purported to be a rival or at least set up to be a rival in this league against them uh, is, you know, failing in finals. I mean, and, you know, their <laughs> trophy cabinet in MLS is still empty. Uh, you know, they're, they, of course, I think might be counting their Orlando Invitational, but uh, no one no one else is. So uh, <laughs> it is uh, very, uh, I think, uh, you know, much of a relief probably from uh, from some of the LA United fans to see Orlando fail. But uh, what were your what were your thoughts after uh, the final? Uh, yeah, it was an intriguing final. Um, you know, obviously it was close. Uh, second half goal decided it. And it was just, I think it's so typical Portland to, to win in these type of situations, you know, knockout situations and whatnot. So, um, I guess, I guess you have to give Orlando some credit, you know, but I think this stretch of games was probably their best stretch of games. Probably in their club's history. I mean, yeah. you know, they played with an identity. Um, you know, they played some good ball and, uh, you know, Nani looks, I mean, I think Nani has always looked good, but it's just a matter of getting him help him and Mueller and others. Um, so, you know, will they carry that confidence, uh, into this, uh, next stretch of games or will the disappointment, uh, ultimately sink, sink yeah. their confidence? We'll, We'll see. We shall see. I mean, yeah, because we have seen them, uh, I think, start off hot in a season. And, then you know, 
their fans come into our mentions. They all talk up a big game, and then uh, you know they fall right. off in the middle of the season, and then you know they, uh, there's less a whimper uh, at that point because yeah, their Crickets. tails are tucked between their legs, and so. Uh, yeah, it will be very interesting to see. Obviously, uh, like we mentioned earlier in the show, yeah, I mean, you know, they may not be as deep of a team as some of the other teams. And so a game every three days pretty much will uh, be a, a pretty decent test for Orlando City. But um, yeah, I think nonetheless, it is, I think, uh, something we should applaud MLS uh, we were skeptical for the most part on this podcast about uh, you know the plausibility of them being able to pull this off and I think uh, yeah with the the last pretty much month uh, without any positive COVID-19 tests it's uh yeah it's, they pretty much pulled it off I mean the bubble worked and uh, you know it shows that you know you can if uh, you're wanting to move forward in this way this can be a way of getting some of the games done uh, in some of the, you know, pretty much money owed to their uh, investors, essentially. But, uh, yeah, I mean, right. also... I uh, also I think, say, too... Yeah. Go ahead. They, I think the, the players uh, deserve a lot of confidence. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, in order for this the bubble thing, the, any of this to work, I think the players have to... You know, cooperate, follow the protocol, and they did. There was a Portland Timbers player, I forget who, uh, who basically opened up about, you know, his home life and how his son, this week or so, has been calling him crying, asking when he's going to come home because he hasn't seen him in so long. And so, you know, that's that's tough. And so it is uh, a bit of a mental toll, a bit of an emotional toll. You got to remember, these players, they, they can't really go anywhere or do anything. And it is, um, I saw a WNBA player mention this, it is also a little bit invasive, you know, so I think uh, we should remember that these players made a huge sacrifice to pull this off, and uh, and they did. So, yes, I think uh, commiserations, I think, or congratulations, I think, all around. Yeah, for sure. I mean, not only the players, but also everybody involved in staff and, uh, you know, hotel staff even as well. I mean, you know, league, media, Everybody that was down there for the entirety and even for a part of it, they, uh, yeah, they followed the protocols and they were, you know, pretty much they helped make this happen. And, uh, yeah, I mean, big, big applause to all of them. But uh, also big applause to the Black Players Coalition. Uh, pretty much the entire time there was uh, pretty much bringing more awareness of the Black Lives Matter movement. And uh, yeah, if Mark, you want to speak on that a little bit more. Yeah, sure. I mean, like, so, you know, that opening match, as I think we all remember, there was a huge display from the Black Players Coalition and the whole league. Um, you know, the kneeling and uh, fist raise in the air for eight minutes and 46 seconds. It was it was powerful. It was touching. I was um, almost kind of brought to tears a little bit. And um I think that was certainly my favorite moment of the tournament. And then uh, Black Arrow FC, founded a couple years ago, um, they kind of, you know, they're, they're a group that kind of does projects focused on the intersection of African-American culture and soccer. And they actually got some behind-the-scenes footage. They were invited into the bubble to shoot some of this footage, get some um, interviews, 
and uh they launched it uh it's actually yeah they launched it last night i think a clip of it played at halftime of the final um but the the video itself is eight minutes and 46 seconds and i just thought uh, that powerful. was so yeah. Point, yeah powerful poignant you know when you really sit there for that long you know you're watching this and at the same time you're thinking about george floyd and um and so I think I think they did a great job of I think capturing the message, capturing the moment, and I, I, I highly recommend it. Like I said, it's Black Arrow FC. Um, they're on all the socials. Um, yeah, I think like like I said, I think for me that was the biggest thing I got out of this tournament. You know, that was and that was something I was curious to see is how would MLS uh, approach the uh, I guess the social climate. You know, how would they respond to it? And I think. Um, I think they responded well, most importantly, backing the Black Players Coalition. Um, Don Garber has also talked a lot about, you know, addressing inequalities in coaching, in front office staff. And um, I think it's great that he's bringing that up. And I hope that the league follows through in addressing that. So, um, yeah, it's kind of the thing that gives you hope. And I mean, like, as a fan, as a Black fan, I really, you know, it's... Uh, it's it sends a really powerful and positive message i think yeah definitely and so yeah the message is inclusivity and also uh you know more equality for all and that's uh yeah something you want to see from not only the league but everywhere so uh great to see mls really i think uh step up to the play a little bit and uh hopefully they step up even larger and continue to do so but uh, so let's move on from that and LA United 2. Uh, unfortunately, uh, yeah, we uh, are filming this again on a Wednesday night and news has come in that they lost 2-0 against Tampa Bay Rowdies. And uh, they also recently, uh, they fell to Birmingham Legion 1-0. And then before that, they drew 1-1 against Charleston Battery in a match that, yeah, I mean, in... <laughs> stoppage time curiously uh how it went that long they pretty much i think were robbed they probably should have gotten the win there but um i think you know these uh you know losses or draw uh kind of notwithstanding they're playing a lot of kids they're playing a lot of academy players and uh you know you have pretty much the fact uh you have uh, a 15 year old left back in caleb wiley playing these matches as well um, I mean, it's uh, it's crazy. I mean, you know, I don't think you should be expecting um, LA United 2 to be winning these games outright all the time when they're pretty much uh, yeah getting a lot of these academy players and uh, prospects a lot of game time. I mean, against pretty much grown men, people that might be, uh, you know, pretty much double their age. It's, uh, it's pretty insane, but... Then there's a schedule as well. I mean, like, that's yeah. what, basically three matches since the last night we recorded, right? You know, so it's, yeah, it's, it's a, they're going to have to, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, there's a lot, a huge squad is going to have to be used. And, yeah, you can see um, they've been dipping into the academy. For sure. And uh, so, yeah, I think uh, you've seen Mackie Jopp, you've seen Jack Gurr, uh, and others really, I think, uh, you know, show some things in this time. And, uh, of course, also Jackson Conway, who I think has been uh, a little bit injured recently, but uh, yeah, either way, you know, there's a lot of very, I think, tasty talent to be uh, kind of keeping track of at Atlanta United too. But 
Uh, moving on from that, Atlanta United, uh, they uh, picked up a couple of awards in the ATL Sports Awards. Uh, that's, a, I think, an 11 Alive uh, kind of event that they're putting on. So they won the top sports moment category for the win in the Campionas Cup. And they also won the outstanding Atlanta athletes with Joseph Martinez in 2019. So also very great to see. Uh, moving on from that, the Atlanta United Foundation, they announced uh, this week that the launch of Station Soccer's fourth pitch uh, is at Lindbergh Marta Station. And that's, I think, yeah, definitely one of the more bougie of the stations for sure. Right. But uh, I think it's still, yeah, it's, uh, you know, you could uh, potentially, you could go to Tongue and Groove after you play, a, you know, sweat your ass off at uh, <laughs> at Station Soccer right at Lindbergh. But, uh, or you could go, uh, what else? What else is around there? You could go to Taco Mac and grab some wings afterwards uh so beer, be, yeah exactly so you know it's a it's a decent spot but it's also i think mainly it's for these underprivileged kids as well uh and so you know in the neighborhood hopefully uh you know that that is the focus and the uh onus is on them getting a place to play because that's really what matters i mean you know if uh if you hear from like you know maybe ten years from now, uh, a kid that you know grew up playing at the station soccer pitches and now is playing for Atlanta United's uh, you know first team, I mean that would be insane. So you know that's kind of pretty much a, a long term goal of this if it, if it could happen. But um, anyway, let's move on from that. Joseph Martinez he gave a little sentimental nod to Miggy. Uh, at his locker where he pretty much uh, there's the little sticker of he and Miggy doing the Dragon Ball fusion and it is yeah ooh, it just puts you in some feels man puts you in some feels because it is it just out of nowhere he's just like you know he's showing that I think maybe uh, I don't know maybe it was his wife's birthday or something like that he was just trying to show some love or something I'm not sure but either way he was feeling pretty pretty uh you know pretty nostalgic that day but uh anyway so let's uh move on from that's completely atlanta united completely and uh talk about i think a pretty i think important uh transfer if it happens all sources are saying it's going to happen in blaze matuidi uh who is pretty much gonna move from juventus uh storied juventus uh to enter miami and i mean a lot of people thought it was maybe going to be a designated player uh, type of uh, contract, but apparently he's only going to be a TAM player, and that is huge because essentially they still have uh, open spots for a designated player. I mean, that's, you know, to bring on a player of the quality of Matuidi, who, uh, yeah, not only a World Cup winner, uh, Scudetto winner, obviously, but, I mean, a guy who has kind of gone from, uh, you know, just powerhouse club to powerhouse club. You know, he was formerly at PSG as well. Uh, you know, he's just a guy that I think will bring a lot of quality into this league. Uh, I mean, what were your reactions when you heard that Matuidi? Well, he's not an outright like superstar in the world. 
he is mm. known i think in uh if you're if you know you know him you know yeah right exactly no i mean uh I, you know he's been one of my favorite players for a while now you know even when he was back at psg quality uh box-to-box midfielder i was surprised i was actually very surprised that they signed him especially on a tan deal that's a steal and now you look at uh into miami's midfield they have pisado you add Matui to that that will make them a very tough customer you know i think yeah i think he can bring a lot of quality you know i think mls it's a league that uh you do need the legs you need you do need to be able to cover ground and i think you can still do that for them and so it could uh, it could be actually a really smart move something that you know maybe holds down a spot in the midfield for a few years and really helps inter miami establish themselves as a as a top team so it's a it's it's a really good move i can't even hit on it it's annoying because like it, it, i i'm curious to see if he is able to come in before um the our matchups you know I, it does seem like you know, there would be a time conflict but yeah, if he does if he's able to play against atlanta uh they'll be yeah. they'll be really tough it will be very tough. Uh, yeah, it's basically, yeah, you pretty much want there to be some sort of time conflict, but uh, he absolutely does bring just the, the level of MLS even higher. Uh, yeah, I believe he is only 33. And so, yeah, I mean, he's not, uh, you know, terribly old, but he is definitely up there in the age in terms of for a footballer. Um, and so it is, yeah, I mean, him in this league, I think a lot of players will be struggling to keep up with him because he is not only pacey, he knows how to find space. He may not be like the the most technical player, but he will just run circles around you essentially. And uh, the amount of times that he's going to be available, finding himself uh, somewhere to you know pretty much lay it off to uh, you know a playmaker for them, ooh, it makes them immediately just that much tougher to play. So uh, that's. That's a huge, huge, uh, I think, bombshell in that he's just a TAM player. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> so moving on from that uh, into uh, his former team in uh, PSG, uh, well, or one of his former teams anyway in PSG, uh, so moving on to World Football, uh, yeah, they were playing Atalanta in the Champions League, and yeah, they're, Atalanta's pretty much like our uh, sister team in name, and uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you kind of want to see like a, you know, a, a plucky team be able to maybe, you know, beat the uh, the big PSG, maybe uh, they are a, a farmer's league of sorts sometimes, but it is, uh, yeah. I think ultimately they were just too much to handle and uh you know just the combined transfer fees in the talent that they have in neymar and mbappe they just uh yeah they came back and they put away atalanta but i think it's just uh you know me personally why i want to talk about it is because atalanta they were you know they could have made some strides and uh you know they were that that kind of underdog that maybe a lot of people were rooting for to, uh, to do well and uh, and maybe uh, you know pip a win in the the Champions League uh, and get the trophy, but is what it is ultimately. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they had a big season. I mean, you know, they they pushed Juventus for a bit, uh, eventually kind of fell off, but they scored the most goals in Serie A. I think the most goals. I don't know. I don't know if they set the record, but it was up there. 
Um, and then, yeah, you know, like, especially with the format, it being single leg knockouts, I think a lot of people were fancying Atalanta, you know, they're in good form. You know, you really only got to win the one leg. You know, it's only three matches, I think, because they're in the quarterfinals. So, really only be three matches to make a run to the final. And it was an intriguing game. I mean, the first half, Amar had a number of opportunities to open the scoring, and he didn't. And then Atalanta does. And then, you know, fast forward to the 85th minute or whatever it was, Atalanta's still leading. And PSG just comes out with the sucker punch. Also intriguing was uh, Kylian Mbappe. You know, they weren't sure if he was going to be healthy. He comes off the bench, you know, still, I think, uh, bothered by his ankle, but he made a difference. And Mbappe is just a huge talent. He's still only, uh, I believe, 21. And, you know, I think uh, I was telling my friends in my group chat, somebody's got to come get him, you know, whether it's Real or Barca. You know, I know it's like boring, but in reality, Mbappe's really only going to play for one or three or four teams in the world. Like, he's just such that big a talent. I would love to see him in a more competitive league, uh, you know, so we can see him in more meaningful matches. But um, this was the first this was the first match of the quarterfinal round. Where, like I mentioned before, it's all single leg. And so if this is a, you know, a taste of what's to come, I'm excited. There are some, you know, exciting matchups. You have Atletico Madrid versus uh, Leipzig. You have Barca versus Bayern, which could be a final, you know, really. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how the rest of uh, the Champions League plays out. Yeah, definitely exciting games ahead. But uh, that pretty much does it for the news and a little bit of housekeeping in that, uh, yeah, uh, on Twitch, we still will be doing watch-alongs during match days and uh, also maybe a few, uh, maybe some surprises as well. So stay tuned on there at twitch.tv slash TV. So, uh, moving on from that, let's get into, uh, we'll revive a previous segment in buy or sell. And simply, we put up an Atlanta United topic and we say if we buy or sell it and give our reasons why. So, first topic is, so Kubo Torres will bag 10 goals or more in 2020 for Atlanta United. Buy or sell? Well, that's an intriguing one. 10 goals, I think, is possibly gettable. Um, I don't think he will though, because I like, I think if he, you know, if you told me that he's going to start most of the rest of the 18 matches, then I would say sure. But I think he's going to be in competition for that spot with Eric Lopez. And so I think, um, I think we'll see a bit of a timeshare. So I don't think he'll play enough to get to the 10 goals. Yeah. I think not, not only, uh, Eric Lopez, but also Adam John, because yeah, you know, that's another option there. And also, yeah, we don't know if for sure Eric Lopez will <laughs> be playing for the first team, even though he says he will. Uh, but yeah, it's also, I think, uh, that Kubo Torres hasn't really played a lot of football recently. He has been coming off the bench, essentially, and he uh, came on a free. And so, yeah, it is one of those things where, you know, he needs minutes and he needs also match fitness, and he doesn't have that uh, so far. And so, you know, He'll have to kind of build that up, and so I think we'll uh, see a mixture of uh, the strikers, and so 10 is just a little bit difficult to get to. But, uh, yeah, if they can spread the goals around, and, uh, you know, I think that will definitely uh, allow us to uh, to win some matches, and I think that is vital. Um, yeah, next topic uh, is that Ezekiel Barco will be sold in 2020. Buy or sell? 
Uh, that's a sell for me. You know, I know before the season we were talking about maybe in the summer, but obviously that was before the pandemic. And so with the, the lack of football, I think, and then also with the, just the lack of there being a market, you got to remember European teams are affected by this too, uh, financially. And so unless uh, the United were essentially giving him away, I don't think uh, he'd be sold until next summer. Because I think Atlanta United won at least $25 million from the team who wants to sign him. So um, I just don't see it happening this year. Yeah. Yeah, I also sell it. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it could be, you know, maybe next year if he balls out this year and, uh, you know, the beginning of next year. But I think it's just one of those also, um, you know, he was maybe linked with the likes of like Fiorentina in Serie A. But, uh, you know, I don't think they're stumping up $25 million for Ezekiel Barco in this form in, uh, you know, in the pandemic. It just seems a little far-fetched. So, uh, you know, I think we'll have those young DP kind of rules coming in and all that, too. So, uh, you know, we'll still be able to bring in, I think, big talents. So I'm not too worried that, you know, we have to make some space by, like, selling Ezekiel Barco or something, like maybe a force move. It's just not going to happen. Uh, so last topic in buy or sell. Jurgen Dam or Jurgen Dom will start more than 12 matches for Atlanta United in 2020. Buy or sell? Yeah, that's a sell for me as well. I mean, I, just, I think because the positions I think you most likely see him play uh, which would be right back or right wing. There's competition there. You know, there's one, arguably two players ahead of them in in each of those positions. Um, you know, De Boer was still here, and we were expecting a three at the back. Then maybe I think he would have been a wing back. But I get the feeling that we're going to move away from the three at the back. So um, I doubt he'll start that many matches. I think he'll appear in most matches, though. Yeah, probably someone off the bench, someone that's terrorizing defenses at the end of them at the end of matches rather and uh so uh yeah i think i also sell that it's more than 12 matches because yeah if we're playing 18 i don't know if he will start that many um i think yeah his i mean like i agree with what you're saying in terms of his positions uh maybe if we find some way to play two men up top maybe he starts with a striker uh and maybe there's ways for him to you know kind of uh, running behind defenses all the time and try to you know get, see what he can do uh, maybe one on one against uh, you know a goalkeeper but I think yeah ultimately at the end of the day it's hard to see where he's an out and out starter so you know it'll be interesting to see but I think it's sell so uh, let's move on to the mailbag and you guys send in these questions through IG story please continue to do so and we might answer your question in the future. First question comes from NUFC Reese. NUFC Reese asks, do you miss Miggy? How can you not, man? I, I am really glad, though, to see Miggy uh, doing the business for Newcastle, leading the team in goals. I mean, you know, obviously Newcastle doesn't have a, necessarily a prolific goal scorer, but it's, you know, you it's everything that you get with Miggy. You know, it's the work rate, it's... Uh, the pace of course you know and and for him to even add a few goals i think just makes him a really good all-around player so i definitely miss him for sure but um 
you know, I am glad to see his career kind of going on that upward tra trajectory, and I hope it continues. Yeah, I echo everything uh, that you just said, and yeah, I mean, the fact that he had that uh, that song, Hey Miggy, written about him, yeah, yeah. It just makes me miss him even more, because we, I think, came up with that nickname for him in terms of LA United fans, so uh, yeah, there's added nostalgic factor for sure in that. Uh, next question comes from Hagris20. What are your expectations with Glassy at the helm? Well, we had a quote from uh, Kubo Torres. He called him an intense coach. And I think that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, you know, he's also from uh, Stephen Glass himself. He's mentioned about kind of going back to, I think, one with the man management, uh, approaching it in a way that players are comfortable with. But also, I think he understands, he probably understands how the players want to play. I mean, he's been here uh, since the beginning, or at least for a while. So, um, I, I guess what I really want to see is just, you know, players uh, in positions that they're comfortable. That's, you know, I don't, in terms of a record or, you know, uh, a kind of sophisticated style, I, I don't really have those kind of expectations, but... Um, you know, will we see that interim manager or interim man yeah, interim manager bump, you know, like we normally see? Um I think it's possible. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh for me it's also yeah, you don't really expect maybe uh, you know, wins and losses with an interim manager. You really just expect hopefully that he can write the ship and kind of pretty much do the opposite of what the previous coach that was let go was doing and so far he's pretty much identified you know those issues and looks to be rectifying those problems and so uh yeah i mean the fact that he's talking about kind of repairing the the culture between the coaches and the players uh trying to find uh more of an attacking style i think yeah i want to see that implemented and i want to see um you know the team play with more happiness Really, and so that's my expectation of uh, of Stephen Glass and what he can do. Hopefully, he can pull that off. Uh, next question comes from a few bands. Chance on the Halo board for a limited capacity crowd. It would improve the atmosphere. It would depend on. I don't know because you got to be on top of it. You know what I mean. Um, hopefully, it wouldn't get repetitive. Too. I don't know. It's. I'm on the fence about that because I feel like it, it could get uh, it could get boring. <laughs> you know what I mean? But uh, it, it, I think it's something I guess worth floating out there. But yeah, no, uh, I mean it's it's a good and interesting kind of uh, idea. I just yeah. wonder though, because yeah, there will be a lack of a supportive section. There will be not a capo. Uh, there, yeah, it will feel feel like a very different type of atmosphere for sure. And so, uh, yeah, maybe having those chants up on the board can help some of those people that, when they're in the stadium, and then if they don't know the words, uh, it can help them. And maybe maybe there is a capo that's like, because there was that one game where I don't know if you remember it, uh, where you could hear the capo inside the entire stadium. It wasn't exactly the most pleasant experience the entire time, but <laughs> it did happen. And that is a possibility of something that could happen in the future, whether ideal or not. 
I would say no. I think the chant on the Halo board is probably still better, even though they might not know how the tune goes. But yeah, I mean, it's not anything really to, to help the atmosphere if and when we do have more people in the stadium. Uh, I'm for it. I'm for uh, kind of creativity of ideas. So uh, next question comes from the poor wafer. He asks, or they ask, who would be your number one target when the transfer window opens? Well, I mean, look, I I like the uh, if we if LA United is going after Jonathan Gonzalez, I like that move. You know, like I've talked about it a little bit before, but I think it's a position that we should be targeting. I think he's a good age. I think he still has potential. Um, so, in terms of I guess realistic slash kind of dream moves, I think that that's a that's a good move, and I hope hope they're able to complete it. I mean, the fact that uh, if if it's true that Celta Vigo is looking at him, I think it's a testament to his talent, but also that's very well, you know, I think, well, certainly a top four European league is going to trump MLS. So, you know, that's yeah. the one we just have to bite the bullet. But um, if they can sign Jonathan Gonzalez, even for a year or two, I would like it if they did that. I agree. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that'd be a great signing because that's in, uh, you know, sure, it's a congested bit of our uh, our roster but we don't have someone like him we still haven't replaced the production of a Darlington Nagby uh, while he would be different than Nagby he is a step towards the right direction in being able to uh, you know distribute the ball being able to connect the lines and so if it's not Jonathan Gonzalez hopefully it's a player that can replace Nagby's production so uh, that's who my number one target would be, whoever that player is. I mean, that's for Carlos Bocanegra and uh, Darren Eels to be able to figure out uh, and best supply the team with uh, the right players. But uh, next question comes from Joel HP. With all the manager rumors, do you think Atlantian United should sign a manager ASAP or take their time? There's no reason to rush a manager in for the remainder of the 2020 season. I think, again, I've said this before, um, the most important thing, I think, is having a manager in place for the beginning of 2021. Um, and I think it's good that they're starting a coaching surge and then having those discussions now. Do you you got to imagine they're conducting interviews as we speak. Um, and so I think, yeah, to, to, yeah, I think taking time makes the most sense. Give the manager... Uh, a full off season, you know, so you can uh, have a clear idea of what direction you want the team to go in, clear idea of what kind of players the manager wants to get. Um, yeah, there's no reason to rush. I, like I've said this before, I think the last process was rushed. And so it's for me, if Stephen Glass has to finish the 2020 season, that's, that's honestly fine by me. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there are a lot uh, of more managers maybe available in this window, but it is definitely... You know, maybe the right one isn't available in this window. And so, you know, we might have to take our time. And if that's what we need to do, if we need to wait until, uh, you know, maybe next year. I don't know. I mean, if that's what it takes to find the right guy, then it's totally fine. Because 2020 is very much uh, still, like we've said, a bit of a write-off. So it is just, you know, you kind of kind of uh, roll with the punches uh, and if positive things happen then pff, fantastic we're it's gravy 
But uh, yeah, so last question comes from Stinky Tofu 90 Will this season be the season that Atlanta United lose to Orlando? And he goes on to say, oh, fuck you, Orlando. If not now, when? I mean, like, that's, I think, really, honestly, objectively, like, you look at Atlanta United, you got an interim manager, no Joseph, arguably the weakest midfield, or, yeah, arguably the weakest midfield that Atlanta has, has had in its existence. And I don't know, like, yeah, Orlando, they looked good. They looked like they had an identity. So it's got to be now, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, right now it's pretty much, uh, it's like when you uh, pretty much give someone a free shot when you're fighting them. I mean, it's like, yeah, go ahead. Punch me in the face. You know, my hands are behind my back. Go ahead. And, yeah, I mean, if they can't do it then and, you know, beat us, then it's really, I think, uh, the laughter becomes even louder against Orlando City, at least for me, because, yeah, like I've said in the past, uh, they've... Their fans have, uh, you know, kind of uh, done some unsavory things, not only to this channel, but also to, uh, you know, our, some of our fans as well. So, yeah, it's mutual. And so if there's something that, uh, you know, they can't do in this time when our chips are down, well, I'm going to laugh pretty hard. So <laughs> we're, we're like we're, we're like the knight in uh, Monty Python right now. It's like, oh, yeah. merely a fast food. We're like missing our limbs. Like exactly. Yeah, we're trying to. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to walk on two legs when we only have a stump for uh, for one leg even. And uh, yeah, it's just it's ridiculous. And so, you know, they they have every chance to, to be able to beat us. But. I think, uh, you know, we have the ability to be able to bounce back. We'll see what Steven Glass can do. But uh, it will be definitely very interesting in the coming weeks for sure. So that pretty much is the entire show except for the question of the day. And the question of the day is, will you be going to the matches even if there are only 3,000 to 5,000 people socially distanced inside the stadium? Would you go? Let us know in the comments below. And that's it for us today. Remember to subscribe to us if you haven't already. Share this episode and leave us a review and rating so we can pop up higher in your rankings. And for Mark, I'm AJ. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, 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 hey.